It has just been announced regarding song number 262. We shall use that song a bit later in our service today, and certainly as we're gathered together today, and Gary announced it just before our services began, uh, the very lengthy list of those with health issues. And to say that list is lengthy at this point perhaps is even an understatement. But at the very least, each of us know those of our congregation, and in fact, there are many perhaps of our families which aren't members here, we even know of them as well. The title that you see behind me on the wall is a particular lesson which I think will have a tremendous degree of not only challenge, but it'll have a tremendous degree within it of features reminding us about the characteristics of life and one of the greatest dangers that we face from face to face, in, in fact, from day to day. And that particular danger is one that I would ask at the time during the lesson that we'll develop and we'll consider and we'll make appropriate application of it. It is with that in mind, in fact, that in Proverbs 27.1, which was read just a moment ago, that particular lesson about boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Rather amazingly and also rather interestingly, that text is so easy to read past and it's so easy, I suppose, to at least implant some thought, well, that is important. But just how important is it? How needful is it? As you begin this next slide with me, it's mostly an introduction, and it does so in the following fashion. I would submit that there, in fact, are some rather common and prevalent lies that even we in the church, if we aren't careful, we can begin to accept them. We can begin to live in accordance to them. And all the while, I know well if we were asked face to face, we would not agree to it, but we live as if it's so. One of them, in fact, will be the title of this lesson, that assuming that everything will work out okay. You may notice near the bottom of that slide, in fact, that these lies can end up having a rather dramatic impact on our life here, but without doubt, even more significantly, a great impact on our relationship to God. Let me explain to you what I mean. What is this that we're discussing, assuming it'll work out okay. Let me paraphrase. I know that each of us, having come to the point in life which we now are, years, decades perhaps of experience in living, what it's like to live day by day, we have come to operate on the premise that it'll be okay, that it will work out. It may not proceed according to the plans we had made, but it will work out. I know that's so because in my life, I've often adopted that, and I know you have as well. In fact, I've listed just a very small sampling of examples, and you no doubt could extend that by many more. Denise and I were traveling many years ago, and I had gotten on the Internet and made arrangements at a hotel, and everything looked to be okay. And yet we showed up and we didn't feel safe at this hotel. It looked dirty. It did not at all look like it'd be a safe place to stay. And so we just told the desk we weren't staying. 
We found another place just a short distance up the road, and it was wonderful. Fine. The point is, it worked out okay. We had made our plans the best we thought we could, and yet when we arrived, that did not meet our satisfaction. In fact, it did not meet at all what we thought was wise. But it worked out because we found another place nearby. You may have a similar story or maybe even something in the same category. The place where I teach, Lipscomb University, it too has been, of course, affected in so many ways like nearly every other business with this COVID-19. Last March, the university made the decree, everything goes online. Well, no, none of the professors had made plans prior to that for doing it that way. But yet, we adapted, we adopted what needed to be done. The kids graduated in May just like they otherwise would. The point is, it worked out. It wasn't the way we would have preferred it. It wasn't the way that we would have liked it to be, but it worked out. I can remember a scene when I was but a university student myself. It was time to take the final exam in chemistry. I had made the preparations I thought I could make for an exam no doubt as challenging as that would be. On the way to the place, that very morning, walking to the place where that exam was going to be taken, I dropped my calculator. It rendered it in inoperable. There wasn't time to go find another one. I had to take the exam without a calculator. Surely wasn't my preference, but you know, it worked out. I passed the class. It worked out. I say all of that just to say, we tend in life to have arrived at a point where we have just come to realize we'll make our plans and we will live day by day. And when we're thrown a curveball, we'll adapt, but it'll work out. That's a very dangerous way of looking at things in religion. Not only is it dangerous, it'll cost you your soul. And that's partly going to be our development this morning. Because what you appreciate with me is that our familiarity with assuming it'll work out can often bleed over directly into our approach to the Lord Jesus Christ and our direct appreciation of that which is the matters of His church. And so on that slide, I've just adopted a number of statements about this set of ideas. You and I have learned in that adaptability to appreciate that it often leads a life that is somewhat less stressed. But we quickly come to the book of Luke. Would you be turning with me to Luke chapter 12? We're going to read a matter from the lips of our Savior Himself. And in so doing, we will come face to face with this reality of assuming it'll work out. To give you a little bit of an introduction to what the Lord was discussing on this occasion, in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, you and I encounter this episode in the life of Jesus. He said, One of the company said unto him, that him is Jesus, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And so as we pause just briefly, we quickly observe that here was a person, a gentleman, who called Jesus Master. He was somewhat aware of the respect and the placement of Jesus. And in referring to Him as Master, He thus asked a question. 
you insist or you make my brother appropriately share or divide the inheritance with me. We understand how important inheritance can be. And this person was inviting Jesus' assistance to ensure a division that was more favorable to him. May we never forget, Jesus, of course, knew the man's heart. But when we come to verse 14, the Lord responded by saying, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Could we pause to note, Jesus didn't come to serve in civil courts of action. That was not His purpose. In other words, Jesus said, you've got judges, you've got lawyers, you've got others who can take care of this matter. My mission, my purpose for coming isn't centered around something like that. But Jesus didn't entirely drop the matter at that point, for it proceeded like this. Verse 15, And he, that's Jesus, said unto them, You may take note, now the pronoun has become plural. A man had asked Jesus this particular matter. Cause my brother to divide the inheritance with me, but clearly there was a larger multitude or throng present, and now the Lord was going to share a record that would be of great benefit not only to the man who had made this statement, but to all the others who were also in hearing. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And so the value of that statement was not only something needful for the person who had asked, but surely for all who heard, and yea, for each of us still today. And then in that regard, the Lord proceeded to share a parable. And He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then, whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The Lord thus shared a parable. And it's a parable that will not only directly address some of our concerns given the title of the lesson, but it'll be a very needful matter in a host of other ways as well. And so on the slide, why don't we simply proceed with some additional comments with the various verses as we encounter them. So again, the Lord, appreciating the need to emphasize covetousness, verse 15 then spake a parable, and it begins in verse 16 by saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So you might take note, we're soon going to find reference to a barn, and we're going to find reference to fruits and to goods. This man was in the business, you see, that would be connected to what you and I might regard as relation to farming. He had oversight of this, wherein there were things produced so isn't it true? He was well aware of the uncertainty that would go with farming. One is at the mercy of the weather. One is at the mercy of other kinds of issues such that poor seed 
or in fact, maybe even other matters like weather conditions. At the very least, we're told that things worked out favorably. The ground brought forth plentifully, the text says. That wording of verse number 16 indicates that it brought forth in great abundance. In fact, more than what one would at least in a normal consideration have anticipated. Verse 17 now begins to challenge us with the person's reaction to this plentiful blessing. And he thought within himself. Let's pause right now. We had at least given some thought to the lesson about assuming things are going to work out. This man had arrived at a placement in life, if you will, in which things, at least for that growing season, had worked out well. But he was going to make use of it in light of preparing for times in the future. Read with me again as you notice the language of verse 17. He thought within himself, he made some plans, he made some arrangements, he made some anticipations. What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Notice, he had barn, but you'll notice it wasn't big enough. So in the previous occurrences and times, there had not been provision to make ready for a harvest of this size. What shall I do? And now, verse number 18, he said that he refers to the man in the parable. This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. He now made plans to make an investment. He was going to invest the effort, the time, the labor needed to, in fact, destroy the present barns and to build larger ones. And in so doing, there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. The man was making some plans. He was making provision, you see, for what the morrow and the days after that would bring, making ready for the things available to him. It is in that connection we might pause. Notice how sweetly that goes with the comment we've highlighted today. After all, he had put out that crop earlier in the year, and maybe he anticipated a good harvest, but nothing like this. And now on the fly, he was going to plan B. I'll pull, tear down these barns, and I'll build some bigger ones. Isn't that what we're pretty good at? Isn't that what we often do? We adapt, we resort to plan B, and we go on with life. You and I know how this ends. But could I invite you to notice the language of verse 19? What else did the man say? I will say to my soul. So notice he's already thought within himself, and now that conviction has led him to a decision. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up, note the what's next, for many years. Everything was going well for him. He saw no reason at this point to change much of anything in terms of approach. This crop has been so plentiful that I can use it to motivate and make provision for myself for a long time to come. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You may notice a few things missing. We find no reference to thanksgiving or gratefulness or the understanding of ultimately what was behind the provision of this. But by the same token, don't you also notice a very self-centered person? I will say to myself, 
Note the plural, rather the singular pronouns in reference to himself. I will pull down my barns. I will lay up for many years. One of the first lessons we might appreciate is we're not, you see, to be self-centered. We're to understand we care for self, absolutely, but didn't Paul say in Philippians 2, 3, look not on self but on the things of others. This man seemingly had nothing of that mentality. But isn't it so that we now arrive at verse 20? So after we've heard the man's appreciation and perspective, but God said, we have the other side of the coin. We have heard his perspective and we have seen how notable it has been and how often it seems to be very much like what yours and mine might have been. And now verse 20 says, But God said unto him, Thou fool. The man was a fool. And that word fool again just means one who acts in ways apart from what the evidence would suggest. One who takes the evidence and chooses to ignore it or at least neglect it. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. You'll notice that again, how easy it is to presume. Things will work out. May not have been what I wanted, but they will work out. They didn't work out for him. He died that night. Those barns were never to be completed. All that crop and all the goods and things to which he referred, they were going to be left for somebody else, not him. Note again, maybe he assumed that tomorrow and the day after that and the year after that were going to be just fine. May not be what I planned, but I'll adapt and everything will be okay. It didn't work out that way. It did not. In fact, the last part of verse number 20 says, Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And then this lesson of verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Now on that slide, I might ask that we might remember that this person mentioned in this parable isn't the only one in the Bible, who of course was guilty of thinking along that line. You see, we might appreciate the fact we aren't promised tomorrow. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. And this assuming that everything's going to work out, we know for sure there is certainly a large set of circumstances in which that will not be true. Haven't you known of individuals who maybe have thought, well, I know what the Bible has to say but I'm going to wait for a more convenient season. You know, in the book of Acts, there was a man who tried that. He told Paul, go thy way. When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. As far as we know, the more convenient season never came. And the man died lost. That could easily happen to any of us. A person who's never obeyed the gospel just under the assumption, well, there'll be the next Sunday and the next Wednesday and there'll be more time and I'll take care of that decision then. That's not only a mistake, it's a fatal one. That person who once was a faithful Christian and isn't now and just labors under the illusion, it'll work out somehow, okay. That's again so dangerous. 
this rich fool of Luke chapter 12 teaches us matters like that, doesn't it? In fact, you may notice near the bottom of that slide, isn't it true there are other people in the Bible who also stand so supremely to remind us of this truth? I remember a couple named Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. You may recall that the, earth, the church was young at the time, and as they provided for one another, they contributed their means, and that was used to make sure that those who were in need in the church had ample supply. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of ground, and they sold it. And they happily, it seemed, gave part of the money for the apostles to use in the support of the early church and those in need. And they left the definite impression they'd given all that money. But they didn't. We all know how that ended too. But I'd like you to pause for a moment and just ponder. Wouldn't you have been impressed with them? If you were a part of the congregation there and you had heard of what Ananias and Sapphira had done, I suspect any of us on the next Lord's Day meeting after services would have congratulated them, would have stated how impressed we were with their devotion. We would have stated how thankful we were for a heart that they had in support of God. And all the while they lied. They thought tomorrow was going to be fine. They would enjoy the pomp and circumstance and the handshakes and the other congratulations and that everything would just be lovely. But they didn't live to tomorrow. He died and three hours later she did. Assuming it's just going to work out, will almost be a surefire way to go to hell. That's just the blunt, plain truth of the Bible. We've got to understand that things are different than that. It is with that in mind that we'll close that slide and perhaps mention one more. Because there's another scene also in the book of Luke that seemingly shouts so loudly in regard to a subject like this one. Would you just turn over a very few chapters to Luke 16? This again is a very familiar record and one which no doubt comes easily to mind with regard to this subject. But let me begin in verse 19 by reading at least part of it. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Let's pause right there. Jesus spoke about a man. And I realize well there has been disagreement through the ages about whether this was a real event or a parable. I could give you what my take on it is and what my opinion of it is. I don't really believe it matters one way or the other in terms of the greatness of the lessons. But we find here a gentleman. You'll notice he was clothed well. He had ample supply of the physicality of clothing. And not only that, it says he fared sumptuously. Whatever your favorite and perhaps greatest meal is, he had that every day virtually. He saw no need to change anything because life for him was good. No need to alter, to modify, to make any changes. Just take it as it comes and enjoy it. And clearly he was doing so. Verse number 21, or rather verse 20 I should say, makes mention of a beggar a person who is on the opposite end of the spectrum from this rich man. The text says, He was a beggar. 
He didn't have the means of support personally. He relied upon the gifts, the alms, if you please, that was donated by others. And he was laid at the gate full of sores. Notice even the health of this beggar was bad. He was covered in sores, and no doubt he didn't have the means to approach a doctor or physician for any help. Verse number 21 says, He desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. You see, he knew the rich man had plenty, and he was simply hopeful of enjoying a small part of it, the crumbs. At this point, notice how that verse ends. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It would seem that the only ease or comfort he readily had access to in terms of those sores was that, that gentle friction from the tongue of a dog. Now, verse number 22 says it came to pass. Oh, how the Bible often uses that phrase, it came to pass. That the beggar died. The circumstances of this life were then left behind for him. It quickly says he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And then the verse goes on to say the rich man also died and was buried. Now, one of the things we readily see then is that the events of what had been their lot in life, it was now all behind them. The faring sumptuously, the fine clothing that the rich man enjoyed, all that was now just a part of his history. By the same token, the misery, the uncomfortableness, the discomfort that went with the beggar's allotment in life, it too was now a part of his history. Because we now arrive at verse 23. And in hell, that's Hades, he lift up his eyes, this is the rich man, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. Notice again, under the assumption that it was going to be okay. The rich man was living day by day. He saw no reason to adapt, to adopt. You'll notice that his food was fine, so was the clothing. It is in that that situation, though, verse 23 is so different. He found himself in torment, great pain and discomfort and anguish. And in fact, we're going to find in just a moment, it was so significant that he was desirous of merely a small drop of water to cool his tongue. But as we read onward, it says, He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. This man was nowhere close to where he once had been. He no doubt assumed that it was going to work out okay, but it didn't. He assumed that tomorrow was going to be as pleasant as today, but it was not to be so. If you and I slip from this life this afternoon... Will we be as pleasant as now? It's a decision we have to make now. We cannot put it off till tomorrow. Because as Joey read for us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We would be so foolish to think we could just inevitably put all these decisions off till tomorrow. For just as that rich fool back in Luke 12, tomorrow never came for him. You'll notice for this... Rich man of Luke 16, tomorrow didn't come for him either on earth. He was in the realm beyond this one by that time. 
At that point, verse 25 says, Abraham had a reply to the rich man. Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence, or from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Oh, what lessons we encounter and what lessons we learn about how that there is a point of departure and there is, if you will, that statement we sometimes make. He or she crossed the Rubicon. Now, I know the Rubicon River is in Italy. It's nowhere near here. But historically, something amazing happened at the Rubicon River. You might remember Julius Caesar made a decision. By that time, he had gained some notoriety and popularity in, in the ancient Roman Empire. And the Roman Senate, of course, held sway and was powerful in Rome. The Rubicon River was the river that separated basically the intent regarding Rome to the regions beyond. And Caesar knew, if I and the troops cross the Rubicon, there's no going back. There's no going back. The Senate will see our crossing as a threat. War will ensue, and there is no going back. May I say, in your life and mine, there is a crossing of the Rubicon. There will be no going back. The rich man couldn't go back and change a thing. He couldn't go back and redo anything, and don't you know he would have? He would probably have been happy to share his clothing with Lazarus then if he could have. He'd have been happy to invite him to eat at the table and not just take the crumbs, but he couldn't. He'd have been happy to give more attention to the things of God, but he couldn't. He had crossed the Rubicon. The time of death is perhaps the most notable Rubicon in your life and mine, though there are others. There are many decisions in which there's no going back. These two lessons, these two records of the Bible today, take you to the bottom wherein we see again how this ended. And there are other examples in the Word of God. Maybe as we transition to the next slide, may I simply offer a very brief listing of words of wisdom in light of these two biblical records we have seen. And isn't the Bible so quick to impress upon us the wisdom behind these things? First of all, May we understand our life is but brief, even at best. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. May we live wisely. May we understand that our life is not merely about the physical, though that's a part of our living, of course. Our greatest appreciation is God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Matthew chapter, or rather Mark 12, verse 30. But in addition to that, could we not say, it's not a matter of simply living wisely. We need to make sure that it's wise in the sight of God. Isn't that what Paul taught in Ephesians 5? See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And then finally... To always be watchful. Didn't Jesus encourage it? We find so many instances in which we're told to watch, 
to ever be alert and vigilant about the matters of our existence here. Today, as we have studied about assuming that it'll work out, it would be so easy for each of us to list perhaps thousands of instances in life when we just assumed and operated on the premise, and it did work out then. But when it comes to serving God, it won't. It might be that there's someone, one or more in this assembly today, who has arrived at the point of realizing you're not promised tomorrow. It's essential to be right with God today. If you need to take care of that need in your life, we would love to encourage you and to help you and support you and do that which is needful. And so if you're a wayward child of God, do something about that. Rush back to the side of Jesus. Confess those wrongs and repent of them. And He's promised to forgive them. If you've never become a Christian, though, you need to rush to the side of Jesus, the very one who hanged on a cross for you. As you do that, of course, you need to believe in Him and repent of your sins and confess His name and be baptized. And today, if we could help and assist in any way, in light of the fact that we're not going to assume we have tomorrow, but we're going to make sure we're ready today, we could help make sure of that for you using the Word of God. And if you'd like to come and allow us to help you today, do it. While together we stand and while we sing.